As those baskets are making their way around, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. As you're turning there, let me sort of forecast the next few weeks, the next season for us as a church family. You know, next weekend, I don't know if you realize this, but the apocalypse converges upon us, okay? So we have Leon County spring break, FSU spring break, and daylight savings time, okay? So it ought to be lots of fun next Sunday. But anyway, the next two Sundays, March 12th, March 19th, are going to be sort of standalone sermons. And then come March 26th, we are going to dive into the book of John. The Gospel of John will be there for quite a long time, I am sure. Our, our crack production team is even now working on those slick sermon booklets that you've come to, to love and adore. And so we're going to have those ready for you. And anyway, it's going to be a great season in the life of the church. But today, we have some unfinished business as we wind up this series that we have been calling Kept. And, 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 and this is, I'll, just, I'll tell you, I mean, this is kind of a big deal in the life of our church. You know that when we break out the sermon props, there's all kind of cool stuff going on. And there not, might even be an animal in there, but I, you have to wait to the end of the service to find out. Not, not really, not really. But, you know, we have, if you haven't been with us, let me just kind of get you up to speed, so to speak. We have been celebrating 27 years as a church family and we've been reflecting on God's faithfulness to us, like we sang this morning. And, and we've come to the conviction that there is no human reason why we should be here as a church family. That, that there's plenty of reasons, organizational, personal, ecclesiastical, staff, financial, that could have sort of brought the house of cards down. But instead, we find ourselves here by the grace of God. We believe he has kept us as a church family. He's preserved us. He's been faithful. He's protected us. He's guarded us. And now we're simply asking, God, what have you kept us for? What have you kept us to do? Where, where, what does it mean to move forward as a church family? And we've been laying out a vision that we hope and pray and believe that's seizing your hearts and if you haven't been a part of this time, you know, we, we have some these kept booklets that are scattered around um, on your chairs here and there, and, and great afternoon reading material. Encourage you to go there. Go to the website, forwardchurch.com slash kept. You can watch the video. You can kind of get up to speed. But, but in a nutshell, we've been calling you, the people of God, us, the people of God, to think about what it means to, to, to leverage our resources, our time, our energies towards paying down the debt on this building, towards being involved in leverage in, in our community, in ministry to the least of these, leveraging our resources so that we can be in a position to multiply, not just simply multiply out there in Tallahassee and North Florida, but, but multiply in our own spheres of influence. And so we, we, we've been laying this, laying this out. What does it mean to multiply? What does it mean to be generous? What does it mean to serve? And let me just say, I... Thank you, first of all, Four Oaks, for walking with us this season and have just received a ton of encouragement, affirmation, feedback for this vision. I've heard so many of you say things like, Pastor Paul, I'm so glad that our church desires to do X. I'm so thankful that, that our church desires to serve our community. I'm so thankful our church is wanting to be responsible with our financial obligations. I'm so thankful that this church is wanting to multiply 
itself. So lots of encouragement, and for that, let me say, on behalf of the pastors and elders, thank you. But let me also say this. You knew that was coming, right? (laughs) Affirmation is, is really important. Unity is important. Agreement is essential. Togetherness, being on board, all those things are very, very vital. But as we come to this fifth Sunday, concluding the series, let me say... As important as all of those things are, they're not enough if we haven't entrusted ourselves to them. And let me explain what I mean. I've been married to the lovely and gracious um, Susan Gilbert now for 25 years, coming this August. And I've been on a journey this season to figure out how to lose those 20 pounds that have mysteriously attached themselves since we got married 25 years ago. I'm not sure how that happened, but they just appeared. How do we get rid of them? And so I met with someone this week who was an expert on such matters, okay? And they brought all their info to our meeting. So I learned all about the human body. I learned all about why I gain weight, eating more than I should. It's it's an amazing concept, okay? (laughs) I, I learned all about exercise and physiology, And what happens if I drink this shake and take those vitamins and I watch these videos and like I am totally getting down with this thing. I am enthused. I'm encouraged. I'm affirming it. I agree with it. I'm unified with Susan on this vision. Except there's one problem. See, that meeting was Wednesday. And that stuff, those vitamins and those shakes and all that other stuff, is just kind of sitting in the floor of our bedroom over in a corner gathering dust, okay? See, all that stuff could be awesome, it could be great, but if I have not entrusted myself to it, it's not going to do me any good. Now, certainly, don't we see the parallels for a season like this? We can love the vision, affirm the vision, excited about the vision, but if we have not entrusted ourselves to the vision then we're, what do we got? It doesn't do us any good. It doesn't serve the purposes in the kingdom of God. Today, I want to be very clear up front what we're about today. <laughs> today, I want to call us to entrust ourselves to this vision financially and through our generosity. Now, a number of you have, have given the feedback Pastor Paul, we really appreciate the way you and the elders have handled this. We have not felt like this is a sales job. We have, this hasn't been an Amway presentation. This is, we don't feel like we're getting the shakedown each and every Sunday. And, and for that, I say, God, praise God. Because God loves a, 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 not someone who gives out of compulsion, okay? But, but, but God loves a cheerful giver. God, we don't want to feel compelled by guilt and manipulation or all those things. And we also recognize there's lots of ways to entrust ourselves to this vision besides giving. You can pray for it. You can serve in it. You can participate in it. You can come alongside of it. All that is totally true, and we've tried to make that crystal clear. But let me say this, for Oaks. While entrusting ourselves to this vision is not merely financial... It's not less than that. It's not less than that. I think 1 Timothy is going 
to show us that today. And, and, and let me just tell you, just so we can kind of get the awkwardness out of the air, if that's possible, before, before we get rolling, um, there, there's an there's a intention card under your seat today. And, and don't worry, we, we, we don't have the, the elder Gestapo locking the doors, okay, and not letting anyone out until we collect your card, okay? Although it was a serious matter of consideration in one of the elders' meetings, but we decided not to go that direction. This, the, the giving, the, the turning into the card is not, 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 okay, the focal point of this. We're going to have a season where you can turn that card in. You can, you can turn it in today as you walk out and drop it in the box, you can mail it in, snail mail, to, to David Hughes, our business administrator, if you so desire. We even have your own personalized link. Can we flash that on the screen, Ben? Um, where you can go and you can do this electronically. And we're going to do this, and, and we're going to accept these commitments over the next three weeks. And we'll announce them after spring break on March 26. Okay? So this is all to emphasize this is not a manipulative game. This is a personal response between you and the Lord as to how you would participate in this, in this vision. Guests, let me say, I'm so sorry. No, not really. You, you, you kind of stumbled into a family time here, but you know, in actuality, you're going to get, I think, a, a clearer picture of who we are as a church family, that we don't talk about money all the time, but we do talk about money a good bit of the time, mainly because Jesus talked about money a lot. And the gospel writers talked about money a lot. And, and, and the New Testament, Old Testament writers talked about money a lot. Why? Because there's no clearer pathway to see what's going on in your heart and in my heart than through how we deal with our stuff. And so we don't offer apologies for doing this today. But as a guest, we want you to know you are our guest. And, and we're just so glad that you're here but we're now in the first Timothy chapter six, verse 17, three verses. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray. Lord, I know um, for those who trusting in you, the Holy Spirit's alive and active in their hearts. All of us, we want to take hold of that which is truly life. We don't want to have a faux life. We don't want to have an unstable life. We don't want to have a, a despairing life. We want to have true life. And Lord, you, you show us in this passage where that true life lies. So now we're praying, Father, that you would give us grace. Give me grace as we teach through a difficult passage and a difficult topic. But Lord, we just trust in your word. We trust in you. You know what's best. So Lord, give us the capacity to embrace it, to love your word, to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. There, there's, there's three kind of things going on in this passage that I just want to direct your attention to. That Paul, in this passage, gives us a charge, he gives us a call, and then he lays out a certainty. So a, a charge, a call, and a certainty. Now, before we unpack that, let me just address a couple of immediate either misconceptions people might have 
or, or assumptions they're bringing to the table that can wrongly color the way that you look at this passage. Okay? First of all, the first thing Paul, Paul says here, okay, as for the rich, and we have, to, we have to stop there and say, well, who exactly is he talking to? Because he, earlier in the chapter, he does address those who aren't rich. Now, depending on where you are on the spectrum, it's, it's easy to just sort of generalize with something like this. For a pastor or a leader, it's very easy to say, ask for the rich. Who are the rich? Who, what would I say? Oh, we're all rich. Okay, every one of us. We're, we're untold, we have untold wealth compared to the world and third world countries and all those kind of things. There's others, depending on your background, you may say, for those who are rich, come on. Okay. Who, who, who are these people? Okay, because I'm not one of them. All right, I, I can barely pay the bills. I, can, I can't make ends meet. I'm in debt. Ref, wherever we are, we, we, we can have sort of a reflective response on this. But I think it's important that we really define what does Paul mean when he says that someone is rich or not? This is important. Now, if you look earlier in the chapter, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9, listen to what Paul says to those who aren't rich. Okay? He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Now, listen to this. So he, he equates contentment with this. But if we have what? Food and clothing. In other words, the basic necessities of life. With these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, in other words, those who want more than that, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, what is Paul saying here? What is he not saying in this passage? First of all, let's be real clear. Paul is not attempting to make rich people feel guilty. Okay, look, at, look, look in verse 17. It says that God, guys, you need to know this, our God is a generous God. And it says in verse 17 that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So Paul spends a lot of time in his letters attacking those who are aesthetics, who say, abstain from this and don't do that and don't buy this and don't eat that and don't dress this way. And Paul spends a lot of time saying, no, 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 no. Those things in of themselves do not have value for godliness. He might even have a passage like Ecclesiastes in mind. Listen to this. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. So Paul's not out to make rich people feel guilty. In fact, Paul benefited greatly in his ministry by wealthy individuals, by patrons, by people, Lydia, opening up our home. By, by those in the early church who were his benefactors, the church in Philippi, generously supporting his ministry. Because we see example after example of, of people in the Old New Testament who are quite wealthy, whether it's Abraham or Joseph or of Arimathea, others in the early church. So, so I don't think Paul here is, is trying to make rich people feel guilty. We also have to remember 
that rich is relative. Okay? Rich is relative. This is important for us to understand as a church family because we can be very tempted to look around and locate someone else as being rich. That, that, that applies to someone else. Or that, or that person, oh, they're definitely rich. They, def, they go to Disney World, they're definitely rich, okay? Or, or, or I look at their life, I look at their house, I look at that. Guys, rich is relative. And, and let me give you an example. Going through my 2016, our 2016 tax returns and all the receipts and the spreadsheets and then the visa expenses and all those things, and it categorizes them, right? Transportation and housing and food, entertainment. It, it's, it's simultaneously incredibly revealing and incredibly horrifying, okay? Do you know what I mean, okay? So, so, so when I look at a lot of this, like, for example, internet, is, is, that a, is that a need or is that a want? I would venture to say that it's probably a real need for most people because of the life they live and where we live and their business and those sorts of things, but maybe not so much else in another part of the world. See, there, there's, see, the cost of, of being an American, it's the culture we live in, is vastly different. It's apples and oranges when you can compare it to other cultures. That's not to be an apologetic, not to be generous, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. I simply say, four oaks, don't judge. Don't judge. Don't read this passage this morning and be thinking about, you know, so-and-so is rich. I hope he's thinking about this passage. Don't, don't, I'm going to pray for him, okay? Don't do that, okay? Um, you know, I, I know so-and-so, okay, is not generous. I know they're not generous compared to, to where I am. That's not Paul's point, okay? Certainly, Paul warns of this idea about the desire to be rich. The word there, it, it means an unhealthy obsession, to, to, to make an idol out of more, an idolatrous craving for more stuff, which can lead us to be ensnared in materialism and greed. Now, to say all that to say, are you rich this morning? I think most of us would have to say yes. Okay? But I don't say that unequivocally. I don't say that without distinction. I simply say you have to contextualize this sermon in the context of, of your life. And we have to hear what Paul is calling us to do. So I'm going to go through these fairly straightforwardly. He gives us a charge, a call, and a certainty. The charge is in verse 17. Look there again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So three things he says in this charge. First of all, don't be haughty about money. Now, don't you love the word haughty? When I think about haughty, I'm, I'm looking at Joe LeBlanc, who's from the UK. The, the English say things like haughty, right? Haughty, okay? Pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency. Guys, let's be clear. It's not legalism to say that money is dangerous, it's not legalism to say that money might be an issue of salvation. Where, Pastor Paul, where do you get that? Matthew 6, 24, what does Jesus say? You can't serve God and money. You cannot have two masters. And if money has gripped your heart in such a way that God is a distant second, then Paul said, you might want to examine your heart. Matthew nineteen twenty four. Yes, it's hyperbole, but yes, it's true. 
easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because when you're rich, it's difficult, more difficult to perceive your true need. Now, let me say this. You, you've heard it said, and I think it's true, obviously. Ultimately, money does not buy happiness. Okay, we know that's ultimately true. But let me ask you a question. Would you rather be depressed and anxious and poor or depressed and anxious and rich? <laughs> think about that. Would you rather have parental and marital problems and be poor or parental and marital problems with a lot of stuff? See, there's something about the nature of money that numbs us to our true spiritual needs. And so Paul's just saying, don't be haughty, be careful with your money. He also says, number two, don't be hopeful in your money. He says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. There's a little phrase at the beginning of verse 17 that I think is, is just so revealing, just kind of tossed in there. Paul says, Timothy, tell the rich, here it is, what is it? In this what? Present age. Because that's so humbling. <laughs> it just reminds us, money and material stuff is so fleeting. It is so temporary. It is just here for a tiny bit of a vapor. Okay? It's just a hand breath. It's just here today, gone tomorrow. Now, you've heard all the isms from the pulpit before, right? All about, you can't take it with you, and Chuck Swindoll. Have you ever seen the, the U-Haul behind the hearse and all those things? You, you've heard all that a million times. But we do have to, some of you haven't. Anyway, but, so, so, but, but nonetheless, because people have tried to live this way. Because we're, we're, we're numb to it. Oftentimes we have the attitude that this is going to last forever. I'm going to have, whatever I have, I've got to hold on to it. Because when Howard Carter, who was a, a British archaeologist, combing around in the sands of, of the deserts around Cairo in 1922, stumbled across what? The tomb of King Tut. And Egyptians, you know, that they would have been right at home with what Paul was saying here because they really did think that they could take it with them. In fact, they went to great lengths. They would embalm servants. They would embalm pets. They would, um, to go along to the burial site with their master, their lord, their royalty, they would stock these tombs with wine and food and furniture and clothes and makeup. And such they did with King Tut. And then when, when Howard Carter found this tomb 3,000 years later, what do you think he discovered? It was all just as it had been 3,000 years ago. You may say, of course, I get it, I get it. Okay, but do we? But do we? When I, when I go home and do my taxes and I look at Quicken and I balance our budget and I do our books, am I really mindful that this money, this material that it represents is so momentary just for this present age. That's a, that's a good reminder. Paul says, because of those things, put your hope in God. We just sang it a minute ago. There is no shadow of turning with him. That his faithfulness is, is great, that he is eternal, that he doesn't change. And so what we have to ask, what does it mean, okay, as God's people, to place our hope in God with our stuff? What does that mean? 
What does that mean practically? And Paul, I think, here gives a call that helps us understand that. Number two, look at verse 18. What does it mean to put your hope in God with your stuff? They, meaning us, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And it's interesting that what, what Paul, Paul says there, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, I think he's talking about this idea of, of personal service and then personal giving financially. A personal service, personal giving. We've mentioned this before, but let me say this. One of the huge wins of this season as a church family, I think, beyond any sort of money that's raised or not raised, is are the people of God here at Four Oaks more vested in serving? Are they more vested in participating? Are they more vested in building up the body of Christ here in this church family than when when we started this process? Because this is a good warning for us as as moderately wealthy Christians in the Upper East Side, Northeast Side of Tallahassee at the Killarn campus. Now, sometimes it's easier to be generous with our money than with our time. Sometimes it's, it's, it's easier to, to write a check than to get our hands dirty, invested on the ground level. Because sometimes it's just easy to sort of literally mail it in. And just say, you know, that's my part. That's my part. Now, somebody else's part is to, like, go do that hard thing. Just go minister to that person. Go serve in that Sunday school class. Go walk in that pregnancy center. Walk for life. I'm doing my part. And Paul, I think, has to remind us we're to do good in what way? First of all, to be rich in good works. I mentioned this when we commissioned those 20 deacons. You know, we're in the process over the next couple of months of, of, of assimilating all of the, the different needs, all the different gifts that are represented in this body, all the different ways that people can serve, the way they're gifted to serve, so that when, need, when a need arises, we can call people to it, call, call people to address it. Don't let this season pass, Four Oaks, without staking a claim to what it means to serve the body of Christ. Because deacons, remember, they're not here to do the ministry for us. They're to set the example that we follow behind. And so Paul says, first of all, take stock of your life. And guys, this applies to every single person, regardless of how much stuff you have or don't have. Paul says, be rich in good works. And what's interesting about this is that this is such an antidote for materialism and greed, isn't it? It's so interesting that, that it's, it's, a, it's human nature. The more we ask people to do, oftentimes, and you see parents this at home with your kids, the more you ask them to do, the more content they become. The less you ask them to do, the less you expect of them, the more discontent they can be, the more entitled they can be. And so, so Paul recognizes this antidote of service. So he says, be rich in good works. Secondly, verse 18, he says, be generous, ready to share. This, this word, ready to share, literally means ready to distribute materially, ready to, to, to give something. 
at a moment's notice, we, we, if you studied American history, the Minutemen, right? So, so why were they called Minutemen? So when the British were coming and Paul Revere, and I don't even know what is historically accurate or not, but all the classical education folks can tell us okay, later about that. But, but the idea was that these men had their muskets at the ready so that when the British were coming, they would grab their musket at a minute's notice and show up at Concord or Lexington or wherever to, to, to fight for the colonies, for their country, which means they had to be on the lookout. They had to be on the guard. They had to be ready to spring into action. And that's what Paul says characterizes the life of the believer. Are you eager, quick, anticipating opportunities to share, to give, to be generous? Let me just say something, two things. I love those kind of people, and I wish I was one of those kind of people. I'm I'm not. It It takes a long time, often too long, for me to respond to God's prompting and the requests of others and to turn myself around and say, I want to serve in this way. I want to be generous in this way. I want to be eager and ready. Does this characterize your life? Does it characterize my life? What would it look like for this church family to be on the lookout, on the guard, ready to be generous at a minute's notice? At the drop of a hat. You may say, Pastor Paul, that's, yeah, I agree. Yeah, where do I start? There's so many needs and so much going on. Because I think we want to start where the Apostle Paul tells us to start. In Galatians 6, he tells us an interesting thing. Let me read this passage. He says, let the one who is taught the word, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone it's a lifestyle of generosity. Now listen to this. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Because you don't have to serve and give hours or across the globe to be fulfilling God's purposes in your life, although those things are highly important. For most of us, faithful, generous giving starts right here. Guys, if you are a part of this church, whether you are a member or not, and don't play that little, like, administrative game. Well, I haven't signed the membership. No, no, no. Are you here? Do you call Four Oaks your home? Do you receive preaching and teaching? Are your kids involved in the children's ministries? Are they, they do the student stuff? Are you in a community group? Are you receiving the blessings of this body? Paul says, oh. Invest your resources there. Give there first. Is this the only place we should give? Absolutely not. Susan and I give other places outside this body, but I think Paul makes it clear all throughout his letters that the local church is to be the locus and focus of our giving. And one of the things that we said the first week, 
that we said the, the local church is the last great hope of the world for all its flaws, for all of its liabilities, for all its deficiencies, for all of its sin. And here's why. God said it was. God says, my people, my bride, I'm going to build them. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Guys, one of the things that happens, and we shared this before, we certainly give to those things that have captured our hearts, right? That, that's the way human nature is. But Jesus says it works in reverse, that our hearts are captured by the things that we give to. That's what he means when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because I, I think it's an exciting season to, to see what God does, how he knits our hearts together as a church family, as we are generous with our time, with our priorities, with our gifts, and yes, yes, with our resources. What happens when that happens? Let me close with this, a certainty, verse 19. You know, this is really cool. Paul's answered the question, what happens when the people of God, who are rich in this present age, do good, are generous with their lives, are generous with their resources. He says they store up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This, this, uh, this, this word to store up, it's kind of this idea of like to squirrel away. Okay, do you ever sit on your back porch and watch squirrels in which they all died? Okay, yeah, that's me. There was something else I was going to say, but I'm going to hold off for the poor squirrel, okay? And just to see, really, just how industrious that little rat can be, okay? They collect everything, they destroy everything, but they're, they're, they're socking it away to access at a future time when it's really needed. See, there, there's something that happens in the eternal equation when you and I and the people of God are generous. Paul says that, we are storing up for ourselves a good foundation for the future. Not completely sure everything Paul has in mind here, but, but here's certainly one, I believe. Because you can give a million dollars to this campaign, and thank you very much, okay, and be lost as a goose spiritually. Be, be so far from the kingdom of God. Yet, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit lives within you, there will be something that is activated that moves you in your life and your giving towards generosity. And one day when you stand before the Lord, you will not be making a tit-for-tat exchange. You'll not be saying, all the money I've given God, so give me your grace. No, 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 no. You'll be standing before the Lord and God says, it's because of my grace that you were able to do what you've done to be as generous as you are. And we will offer those gifts back up to him and say, God, this is because of your grace. This is, this is, this is my commendation. This is my stewardship. 2 Corinthians 6, there will, be, there, there will be a time where we will stand before the Lord and that we will give an account. This will not be a, a judgment on salvation. It will be a judgment based upon reward. As I truly believe that's what Paul has in view here, we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. But you know what we also do? 
Let's look back at verse 19. We take hold of that which is truly life. Guys, our world, our culture is searching desperately for the good life. What is the good life? What does that look like? How much money do I need to have or not have? How many kids? What kind of family? Where do I need to live? What kind of hobbies do I need to to, to gravitate to? Interestingly, Paul says when we are generous, we take hold. And the word there means to literally seize aggressively. And I love this, with hostile intent. Don't you love that? With extreme prejudice. We grab hold of true life. And what is true life? True life is a life that hopes in God. True life is a life that, that understands what we do in this life for us, what we give, how we serve. It lays up a foundation for the future, an eternal future, and it, and it glorifies and honors God. It resonates for eternity. And so that's why we're calling us as a church family. Yes to a project, but even way beyond that to a lifestyle of generosity, to a discipline of generosity that will carry us forward, will carry you forward for the rest of your lives. To the box, okay? You hear the scratching in there, something trying to get out. Guys, um, this is our 20th year, Susan and, and myself at this church, in the fourth year as a lead pastor. And four years ago to the day, almost... Um, we had the ordination service here where, where, the, where the elders said, we, we want you to lead us um, into the future, be our, be our lead pastor. And we had a time where some of our staff and pastors and elders kind of gathered together to celebrate, reflect, and then to collect mementos, things that we wanted to see God do in the life of Four Oaks in the coming season. And we put them all in this box, and this box has been... Where has it been, Joe? It's been everywhere. It's made its way around Four Oaks. And, and for the first time, or one of the very few times since then, I opened this up yesterday and started, started looking through it. And it, it's amazing just how much God encouraged my heart, and I want to encourage yours, by what we're, by what we're doing here. And someone had, on staff had given me this picture. It's a picture of the city of Tallahassee. And it says, for I have many in this city who are my people. And I was like, God, yeah, that's right. That, that's, that's why we want to live generous lives. Then I, I get this card. I have not seen this card literally in four years from my mom. And she says, she's commending the fact that I'm following in the steps of my dad who was a blessed man. And you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as a father, his children are blessed who walk after him. And just it was commending me to continue to walk faithfully so my children would follow after me. And I really thought, you know, that, that's, that's an object lesson for us as a church. What we're really after here, we don't want to see the gospel terminate in this generation. We don't want to be that kind of church family. We want to see a legacy passed down. That's why we're generous. And the last thing I saw was a note Susan wrote me on the back of one of Spurgeon's sermons. And it's the sermon where, where Spurgeon is talking about, it, it's the parable of the talents. And the servants have been given one talent, two, and five. And this is what she wrote to me. She said, Paul, do you have one talent? Do you have two? Do you have more? Do you have a half, a third, whatever, okay. Only 
a sovereign Lord knows completely. She said this, but just be faithful to what you know and have and fill the niche that God has designed for you to fill. Folks, it's, I don't know if we're a one-talent church, a half-a-talent church, a ten-talent church. I don't know. That's in God's economy. That's up to the sovereign God. But what, what I do know is that we want to be faithful with the talent that God has entrusted to us. We, 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 want to, we, we don't want to be the church in Revelation where, where Jesus is like, you love my truth, but your heart is cold. We don't want that. We, 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 we don't want to fall away. We don't want to be unfaithful. We want to be faithful. We want to be fruitful. I don't know what that exactly looks like for us, whether it's one, two, or five talents or something in between. But I do know it reflects my heart. It reflects the heart of your elders and your pastors that we want to run after everything God has for us. We believe we have been kept by him. This is how we're going to close the, the, the service today. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back out. And we are just going to spend a few minutes worshiping and praising God and thanking him for who he's done and what he has done in and for us. And guys, as, as we're doing this, pray, thank the Lord, and just ask him, how, God, how are you leading me to respond to, to this call for generosity? We're not going to have you walk up front. We're not going to do any of those sort of things. But you again can turn this in in the back. You can mail it in. You can follow the link online. You can do any of that sort of stuff. Because by God's grace, and if you look on that card, we would love Love, love, love to pay, to pay off this, this first mortgage by June 1st. Um, we would, over $200,000 has already been given towards this, and we thank God for it. Guys, for some of you, a, a, a huge step forward is to take one step on that generosity pathway to say, God, I don't even have a category for this. What does it mean for me just to, to begin giving regularly or proportionally or sacrificially, wherever you are on that, that's between you and God. But what I want to call us to as a church is to celebrate and thank him for who he is and what he has done. Let's pray.